Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. If I have not gotten a chance to meet you, my name is Tim and I'm one of the pastors here. And we are delighted that you are here this morning. Uh, if you are thinking about that, I would really encourage you to take advantage of that Financial Peace University because here's the reality. Um, our economy is in a unique place. Inflation goes up, gas prices go up, and you're probably not getting paid anymore, right? So how do we use our money to honor God? How do we rearrange how we use our money, spend our money, and uh, take advantage of this class? If this summer doesn't work for you, we're going to roll it out again in the fall. We're going to keep rolling it out. And here's the deal. The class typically costs $100, and Bridgewater is footing the bill. So we want everybody to go through Financial Peace University. So take advantage of this course this year while it's being offered. Uh, all right, so last week we had some events. We had some throwing of axes. We had some golf. We had a cliffhanger challenge. Want to give away some gift cards here. The winner of the axe throwing was a man named Nathan Batts and is Becca's cousin. Nathan's not here, but it's Becca here. Becca, come on up. Woo! You get a Five Guys gift card. Let you get that to Nathan. You can keep that. And the winner, the father with the longest hang time with a minute 32 is none other than Stan Baker. Stan! Woo! Come on up, Stan. Five Guys gift card for you. Treat yourself. There you go. And the overall longest hang time was not a dad, but a mom with a minute 55, Alexis Hubbard. Woo, Alexis, come on up here. Guys, we have some work to do next year. We have a gift for you, Alexis. It's not a Five Guys gift card, but it is... Pretty fancy tumbler. There you go. Congratulations. Good job with your kung fu grip. Guys, there's training starting on Monday at Reed Mullins' house, 6 o'clock in the morning. Next year, we will do better. All right, so after I graduated seminary, our economy was in a unique place. A lot of people have gotten laid off. A lot of companies were not hiring. And so I was having a difficult time finding a job. And I was looking and looking and looking, and I couldn't find anything. And so eventually, Shane and I, we moved back to the Philadelphia suburbs to live near her parents, rented her grandmother's house. And the first job I could get was at a grocery store. And so I took that job. I was working part-time in the deli and in the pizza shop. And uh, a couple months into that, they offered me a full-time job as the floor cleaner. So I met with the head of the maintenance department, learned about what that job was, show up for my first day of work at 7 o'clock at night, and find out that my boss only works first shift. And so there I am, and I find out that uh, the floor machine is broken, and they have a scrub brush and an old mop, and that's it. So my job is to go and clean the floors at the bakery, the deli, the coffee shop, the buffet. And I have no idea what the standards are, what the expectations are, uh, if there's a checklist. There's a broken floor machine. There's a scrub brush. Go at it. 
And so there I was. And I think we've all been there, right? We've all had a job that we didn't like or that we weren't excited about. We've all had a boss that we weren't sure was super competent. We've, we've worked with coworkers that probably drove us nuts. And so what do we do about that? How do we go on working in a place that's similar to that, that we're not excited about? Well, as I worked, I began to get a little more excited about it. I enjoyed it a little bit because there I was working by myself, and so I would load up podcasts and sermons and um, books and music on my iPod, and I would just work, and then Saturday night, I would show up a little bit early, and I would hustle through it, and I would go home a little early so I could get a few hours of sleep before church, and so that routine just kept on going through, but after a while, I just got discouraged. I got frustrated, and I was, I was working a job that I didn't want to do. I was working for a boss that I never saw, I never heard about whether or not I was doing well or I was doing poorly, and it was frustrating. And so the question is, how do we work? Whether you are a stay-at-home mom or you working remote or you go to an office or you drive a truck, how is it that we ought to work for God, and what does that look like? And that's what we're going to talk about. So grab your Bibles and go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to talk about how do we work for God. And so Paul is writing to this church in Colossae, and he's talking about how do you live your life for Christ? And he's talking about different relationships. And as he gets into these different relationships, he's talking about the roles of the husband and the wife, and he's talking about the, the relationships between parents and children. And then in this part, he gets to the roles of slaves and masters. And so that's what we're going to look at. Colossians chapter 3 we're going to start reading in verse 22, so get your Bible out or get your phone out, or you can follow along on the screen. Verse 22, Paul says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Something we need to know notice about these verses is there's really not an explanation or a command against slavery. And so maybe that's a question that you have is, okay, is God actually for slavery? Is that actually okay? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul mentions slaves and he says, if you have an opportunity to be free, if you have an opportunity to gain your freedom, go ahead and do that. And I would say, is God against slavery? Is he okay with that? And I would say the short answer is, is no. And the Bible explicitly teaches against slavery. It teaches against clearly owning people as property. In fact, in Exodus 21, 16, it says, anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. So is God okay with slavery? Well, to steal a person here refers to the slave trade. And so it's not okay. It is wrong. It is evil. It's unbiblical. In fact, in Deuteronomy 15, there are commands for Israel. What do you do if, if a slave comes into your town? 
What do you do? Well, you, you should take them in. You should hide them. You should harbor them. And so uniquely, in the Roman ancient world, you would be punished for doing that. But God says, okay, if there's a slave and they've run away, take care of them. In fact, that's the story of Israel. They are a bunch of runaway slaves from Egypt. And so God is not for slavery. He's against it. He thinks it's wrong, it's evil, it's wicked. But Paul is not addressing it because that's not really what his point is. See, the Great Commission is not go and change the world, go and change the policies of our government. The Great Commission is go and make disciples. The the goal is that we would go and we would influence our culture, we would influence our society with how we live. In fact, that happened. Slavery is wrong, it is unbiblical, and a, a biblical view of man eventually did change the culture, and we did abolish slavery. So the question wasn't, is slavery right or wrong? But Paul's talking about, okay, if you happen to live in slavery, how do you live your lives? When you live in a pagan culture, in a pagan worldview, how is it that you live? And so he's talking about a slave-master relationship, but I think this has incredible implications for us as we are employees, employers. So that's what we're going to look at. Verse 22, let's look at this. Slaves, obey your earthly masters when everything's going well. When your boss is phenomenal, obey your earthly masters when you're getting paid above and beyond what you deserve. No, obey in everything. So even if you have a boss who maybe is incompetent, or a jerk, or you'd call them a moron, or they're just rude or unfair. Paul says we ought to obey them in everything. In fact, if they're, if they're, unless they're telling you to do something that is sinful or unethical, we ought to work in such a way that we listen and we obey and we serve. We work well. We work hard for our companies, we work hard for our bosses that when they ask us to do something, we say, absolutely. In everything, and not only when their eye is on you, right? We all know people that they're kind of lazy, they drag their feet, they don't always do a good job, they cut corners, but as soon as the boss enters the room, they are heads down, working hard, they turn it up a notch, and they're doing everything perfectly. They're just doing it for the boss. They're doing it for his or her eye service. Paul says, don't do that. See, back then, slaves would have worked harder when the boss was around to gain favoritism or to gain certain privileges. And Paul says, don't be that kind of person who's just doing a good job when somebody's watching. Be people of character and integrity. And then he says, I'm sure this is a phrase you use, and to curry their favor. What does that mean, to curry someone's favor? It's the idea of exaggerating something. And it's really the idea of sucking up and kind of being a brown noser. Paul is saying, don't just work when the boss is looking. Don't be that kind of person who exaggerates and praises the boss and sucks up and just to kind of get more attention but be the kind of person who works hard. 
So think about the motives behind our work. When, when you work, whether it's at home, remotely, or you go into an office, or you're a stay-at-home mom, or you are retired, when you do work, what is motivating you? What is motivating you to do a good job? Are you motivated by the opinions of others? Are you motivated by the approval of others? I know sometimes I, I want to be acknowledged. I, I hope that I'm significant. And those are wrong, sinful motives that sit inside of me. Maybe you do it for the love and appreciation and respect of others. What is driving you to do what you do? Maybe you tend to be a little lazy or maybe you tend to be a workaholic. Paul says, whatever you do, do everything and do it, not just when they're looking, but work hard when nobody is looking. Don't be the kind of person who, who just tries to gain praise from their boss. But here's the contrast. Instead of being a people pleaser, instead of being someone who works and lives for the praise of people and man, do it with sincerity. Do it out of a reverence for the Lord. That idea of sincerity, you're doing it, you're doing everything you can, you're genuine, you're all in. You're working hard, you're working from the soul. We do what we do because we want what we do. We want what we want. We do what we do because we want what we want. And so here's the question. When you work, whether you're doing schoolwork, chores, or for a company, what is driving you? Because he says, we ought to work for the Lord. We tend to have a, a fear of people. Maybe you're retired and you have a lot of time on your hands and you just want to play golf and collect seashells or fancy rocks. And I would say, that's fine. But are you really doing that for the Lord? If you're retired and you have extra time on your hands, can you redeem that time for the Lord? Or maybe you're a student and you're on summer break and you don't have maybe a full-time job. You don't even have a part-time job. How are you going to use that time? Can you redeem that time and use it for the Lord? What does it look like to really work hard for the Lord? He says, put your heart into it. Do it with enthusiasm. Before I entered ministry, I had a lot of different jobs. In high school, I worked for CVS. I worked at Walgreens. I even did some construction. And then at seminary, I worked for UPS. And then afterwards, I worked at the grocery store. Then I worked for a sign company. And I had a lot of different opportunities, a lot of different bosses, a lot of different coworkers. And so often, they had ideas and plans for me that necessarily weren't what I was hoping to do for that day. I mean, I had a whole list of things that I wanted to do and how I wanted to go about it. And so often my boss would come to me and say, Tim, I need you to do this. Or Tim, I need you to do that. My reaction, oftentimes I was tempted to say, but I don't really want to do that. I have a, a gigantic list of things to work on instead of that. Paul says, do everything that your boss says. Do it with sincerity. Do it with enthusiasm and do it out of a reverence for the Lord. The idea of reverence for the Lord is the fear of the Lord. 
The fear of the Lord is not necessarily this, I'm shaking in my boots. I'm scared of what God's going to do. But it's this awe and respect that I am right in front of the holy God of the universe. I live in front of the king of kings who breathed everything out into existence. That's who we work for. So when I work, I ought to do, I ought to be motivated and compelled out of the fear of the Lord. You see, you're gonna either live out of the fear of man or the fear of the Lord. The fear of man drives me, motivates me to do things for your approval, for your significance, for your acceptance, for your love. I'll tell you, as a pastor, I fall into that trap all the time. I'm tempted to preach for my own glory. I'm tempted to talk and preach and lead a service so everybody will think it was great and it was awesome. But I have to continually remind myself, no, this is for God. This is for him alone. Ed Welch says this about the fear of the Lord. He says, we are more concerned about looking stupid, a fear of people, than we are about acting sinfully, a fear of God. So what is motivating you? Are you motivated? Are you working out of a fear of man? Or is it a fear of the Lord? Verse 23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. We ought to be totally committed, working as if Jesus is right next to you. Whether you're working from home, remotely, or an office, or you drive a truck, or whatever it is that you do, do we do it as if Jesus were sitting right next to us? Because that's the task before us. Whether it's chores at home or schoolwork, do we do that as if Jesus were sitting right next to us? And if I had to answer honestly, a lot of times I don't do that. And I have to remind myself, no, I'm doing this for God and God alone. How does that change everything? How does that change your perspective? How does that change your work ethic? Work ethic. Later today when you go to work or tomorrow when you go to work or Tuesday when you show up at the office, whatever it is you show up to do what you do, I want to challenge you that you would work for Jesus and Christ alone. When I'm working for myself, it's for my own glory. But when I change that perspective and I begin to work for God and work for God alone, that changes everything. So here's the first point. Your work ethic reveals your God. You will only work for the kingdom of self or the kingdom of God. It's, you can't do both at the same time. It's one or the other. So we ought to work as if Jesus were right next to us. And I'm tempted to, to work for myself, and I'm tempted to give in to these idols. Here's some potential idols you might work for. The performance of others. I make a list of what others should do. I am working for the performance of others or the performance of self, right? I want to be praised. I want to be acknowledged. Or the performance for significant others. I want to be seen as significant, 
or the love of money. I'm looking for that paycheck. I'm looking for that promotion or success. I'm just looking to climb that ladder. This is a stepping stone into the next job or to the next promotion or fairness. I'm just working. I want everything to be fair. Everything ought to be equal. Or I have goals and I have things to reach for. I'm, I'm just driven by achievement. I chase after those goals. So what's driving you? What do you really, or who are you, what, what or who are you really working for? If you're not working for Jesus, there's a chance you're working for one of these idols. So here's the other implication from this. How your work really matters. It matters for eternity, and your work ethic speaks louder than your words. Your work ethic speaks louder than your words. So every time you work, every time you do something, every time you do a task, it's communicating to people. In fact, I know a lot of Christians, that their reputation is they're lazy. They don't do a good job. I'm not saying you have to be the best at everything. I'm not saying you have to be the smartest at everything. But man, when we work, we ought to be known for a hard work ethic. I'm not saying that you need to be a workaholic and work 100 hours a week. But when you have a task at hand, are we all in? Are we doing it with genuine sincerity, enthusiasm? Or are we just kind of going through the motions? When we bought a house in, in Michigan, we had a realtor. Someone highly recommended him. He was a Christian. He was a part of our church. And to be honest, he didn't do a great job. And when we sold our house, we did not go back to him. We went to an unbeliever, and he did a phenomenal job. That can't be us. We have to be people who work hard. Whatever it is that you do, work hard. Your work ethic matters because you are working for Christ. Here's what 2 Corinthians 5.20 says. We are therefore Christ ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. An ambassador for the United States is someone that is appointed by the president to go and speak and behave and act on our country. So when they leave the United States, they go to another country, they are speaking on, they are acting on behalf of the United States. They're an ambassador. They're representing our country. You and I, if you have put your faith in Christ, you are an ambassador. You represent Jesus when you work. You represent Jesus when you talk to people, when you talk about people, when you listen to people talk. You and I, we're an ambassador we're representing him in the workplace, in our home, in our neighborhoods. Here's the thing. Your workplace is an incredible mission field. A few months ago, we gave out these cards, these pray, invest, invite cards, and we, we challenged you to write a name down. We have some of those cards in the back of the welcome desk. See, we want you to go out and leave here into your neighborhoods, into your schools, into your workplaces, and we want you to have an impact for the kingdom. And your work ethic matters. It doesn't mean that every conversation has to be about your faith or about Jesus. But we want you to be praying for people who are far from God. 
When people who are far from God, they see you work and they see you interact with others, what are their thoughts? What are, what are they walking away with? Because we're communicating something to them. Verse 24, he says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So Paul really gives two reasons that we ought to work hard. The first is a positive reason. You will, what? You're gonna have an inheritance that if I work hard and I work for Jesus, there will be an eternal reward there. I don't know what all that is, but I know that our works, everything that we do, We'll go into a fire and all the things we did for ourselves, all the things we did out of selfishness and pride will be burned up and everything we did for the Lord will be some kind of reward. But here's the negative part of that. Verse 25, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. Meaning that when you work and you're lazy and you're prideful and you're selfish, and you misuse those opportunities, there's consequences for that. I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation, but Jesus isn't going to say, oh, well, they're a Christian, so I'm just going to let them cut corners. I'm going to let them slide. I'm going to let them be dishonest. I'm going to let them be lazy. No, there's, there's consequences for our work, how we do our school, how we do our chores, how we interact with others. It matters. It matters for eternity and you and I, we ought to understand. Here's the third point. Your integrity is worth more than your paycheck. It's worth more than what you get in Venmo or the Apple Cash or whatever it is. When you work, our integrity is so important. I've recognized that a lot of you, you might be in a job that you don't like. You don't love it. You don't want to work for your boss. Your coworkers drive you nuts. It is hard, but God created work. In fact, that's one of the first things that he does. He takes this ball of water and he begins to create and design and he is working and he puts Adam and Eve in this garden before there is sin and he has them work. Working is good. It's how we worship. It is hard. It is challenging. And maybe you're treated unfairly, and maybe you're underpaid. And the question is, how do I go to work in the morning and do it for the Lord? I want to give you a couple of ways you can apply this. One, I want you to spend some time this week reading and meditating on Psalm 127. That, write that down. I'm not going to put it on the screen. Write it down, put it in your phone. Psalm 127. And this week, I want you to spend some time praying through that and maybe even rewriting it. Make Psalm 127 your own. It talks about work. Because some of us haven't been doing a good job. We haven't really been honoring God with our work ethic. Secondly, I would say, treat your jobs like a mission field. Look for people who are far from God that you can have an impact on. Thirdly, I would say there's a prayer text that you can sign up for. Let me put that on the screen. You can text in the word work to 570-278-2352 and you will get prayer prompts. Text messages over the next 10 days that will encourage you to pray or give you ideas on how to pray that will encourage you as you pray. And lastly, I would say 
In a few weeks, we're going to have something called the Day of Prayer. It's not going to be a full day here at our campus. We're probably going to do about six hours. And, and I would encourage you that, that when there's sign-ups, that you would sign up with your friends or with your small group or with your family. And we're going to have 30-minute slots that you can come here and pray about our community, our schools, for people who are lost, for things that are happening in our country. You can pray about things. We want you to take advantage of that. Those are going to be some meaning, meaningful times. So rewrite Psalm 127. Treat your job like a mission field. Or sign up for this text. Let me pray with you. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your grace, for your mercy. Recognize that you have designed us to work. That you have created us to do just that. And we recognize that you have allowed us to be in jobs and organizations that maybe are challenging, that are difficult. We work with bosses or for people that make it hard. Father, I ask that as we go out into our workplaces, into our communities, that we would work for you and you alone. That we would redeem our time for your kingdom and your glory that we would put off the idols of selfishness and pride and working for the idols of significance and the idols of praise. and the, We would just work for you and you would continue to give us opportunities to be a light in our community. Pray all this in Christ's name, amen.